Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. I, I knew the look that was on his face the, the very second. Like I knew the situation the very second <clears throat> that I saw him in the store. I, I knew exactly, exactly what was going on. Uh, he was standing in front of the generic, the generic candy aisle. And he's pushing coins around in his hand. And he keeps looking up at the, at, the, at the candy and he keeps pushing coins. And then he would kind of move down. Then he would look down at the lower rack and he just kept pushing these, these coins around. By the door is a, is a younger gal with a dirty, with a dirty baby uh, in, in a diaper on her hip. And she's just bouncing him. He's just standing by the door. And I knew the situation. I knew the situation. I walked in, and as I'm getting a fountain drink, he's counting these coins, pushing change around in his hand. He grabs a generic pack of candy. I, I remember the candy. He walks to the counter. And he pours the money onto the, onto, the, onto the top and begins to slide it across to the guy on the other side. The look on his face changed too. The panic that this guy had on his face now translate or, or, or is contagious, moves to this guy, transfers to him because now he's wondering if he has to tell this guy you don't have enough to get the circus peanuts. You know, the foamy little marshmallow consistency type candy and I'm watching him and I'm thinking goodness and I get my lid and by the time I get my lid everybody's face goes to relief ah alright thanks and they go out and by the time I get up and I pay walk out the door he and I assume a girlfriend or wife is sitting in the car and the little dirty baby is sitting between them all three of them with their hand inside this bag of circus peanuts. My heart yells, do something! My mind sits silent. Just watch. My heart's like, yo, up there! Do something! mind says you don't know the story my heart says do you have to know the story mind says he could be a drug addict heart says when has that ever mattered in the history of hunger don't know that the mind speaks back neither do you yeah but I I feel something and something should happen the mind says but you don't know the whole story and the heart says neither do you that's a human condition am I right 
I've had several different kinds of animals. You know what I've never seen happen in the world? One animal move out of the way and be like, oh, go ahead. My bad, I didn't mean to hog it all. Go right on ahead. You know what I have seen though? I saw my big German shepherd eat my little one. My bad, dude. I've seen that. I seen the rooster push the hens out of the way. I seen the main hen push all the other hens out of the way. I saw the peacock and the rooster. It's a human condition. Buddy of mine rode up on a uh, on a horse one time, came up to the fence on mine. My horse, which is so docile, is trying to come through the barbed wire. I'm going to eat you, dude. You know, like losing it. This is a human condition. What's crazy about the human condition is this. That, that, that story specifically happened 17 years ago. And it doesn't go away. My mind is my mind is sure I've absolutely I mean my heart is absolutely sure that I have betrayed him. And my mind refuses to let go of the images of this little dirty baby and this little bag of generic circus peanuts. These are the kind of things that can kind of keep you awake at night. I can't see a bag of circus peanuts without thinking about that picture in my mind. It's a human condition. But here's what we do sometimes in our world. Um, could somebody please help me get away from all of these, what did you call them? Emotions, please. I would like to not have all these emotions. I need them kind of pushed away. My wife and I are very, very opposite. She is very uh, logical. Um, and that's not to suggest I'm illogical. I am. But that's not to suggest that. She is very logical. Uh, I'm very much more on the emotional side. So when we handle situations, we approach them from a different angle all the time. What should we do about this? Somebody is in need. We should adopt them, you know. And my wife's looking at me like, they're 27 and you're not adopting them. I'm like, but he seems like a good dude, you know. She's like, uh, that doesn't work, plus it looks weird, so don't do it, you know. And so it's a human condition. And some of us are more wired on one side some of us are more wired on the other. It's not to suggest that one is wrong. Maybe one needs to be modified. It's not to suggest the other is wrong, though maybe it needs a little more give in the concrete. What I love about Mark's gospel is that in Mark's gospel, Jesus is emotional. In Luke's gospel, what you see is this creative, I mean, just this tapestry of story you get songs in the book of Luke. You get pictured images. You get stuff you never see in any of the other Gospels. Beautiful, beautiful stories, just paintings on the wall. You know what it is when you see it. Then you get to Mark's Gospel, and here's what you get. You get a Jesus that he is human. Mark wants to highlight the humanity of Jesus. So to say to us, don't worry. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with what we're going through. As the book of Hebrews says. We have a high priest who can sympathize, who understands that brain chemistry sometimes doesn't mean your whole life sucks. With me? To where everything in my body is screaming, this is a terrible life, but everything on the outside is really okay. And this Jesus is emotional. He's not some super elite off to the side Un, completely untouched he is absolutely in touch with his humanity that's why we worship 
That's why we can relate to him. That's why we can look at the stories of his life and say, I can want to be like that guy. That's why I look forward to the day in heaven when we get there. And Jesus is standing between me and God. And he says, there with me. I've been there and it is freaking hard. I don't know if he said freaking hard. It was hard. It is hard. There with me. I was there. Dad, I was there. And it is hard. I like Mark's gospel for that reason because we get a Jesus that is very much in the mix of humanity. He takes him and he throws him right into the middle of human frailty. That's a beautiful picture. Take a look at a couple of things here this morning. Try not to try not to run very long, but I want to point out some. Want to point out a few things. Mark chapter one is the first time we see Jesus have this sudden burst of emotion. Let me read it to you. A man with leprosy. This is like uh, if you listen to classical music at all, it is like the it's like the it's like the four movements of like a classical piece. It's just this soft and heavy and then this crescendo and then this drop and then this dun 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 dun. It's just, it's got all these movements. Listen to how this works. This is really, this is really a cool passage. A man with leprosy came and he begged him on his knees, if you are willing, then you are able, make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to it. See to it that you don't tell anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Dun, dun, dun. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. The movement of the passage is incredible. The emotion in the middle. Jesus is there. The man comes in. Mark is the one who lists this. And he begs him on his knees, heal my leprosy. And Jesus is filled with compassion. He's got circus peanuts in one hand and a dirty baby in the other. And Jesus is filled with compassion. Of course heals Mark puts him right there in the middle of this whole thing called humanity that is dirty and filthy and broken and beautiful and Jesus is there our passage today starts in Mark chapter 2 verse 23 we're going to see another emotion come out there's some other things I want to point out so this is a little bit of a grab bag uh, we're, we're going we're to tie it up as best we can our passage starts in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. We're going to focus on this first part so that we're on the, we're on the second part. But we've got to get through this kind of context uh, for just a second. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was walking through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God. He ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You want to talk about the real human experience? Haters. Can I get an amen? Haters. Man. Did you see this? Jesus is walking through a grain field and up come these dudes in robes wearing ephods and all this. Pop up and be like, gotcha. Freaking weirdos. You know? Got you. Caught you doing something naughty. And no one likes that kid. No one likes that kid. Oh, I saw him. It was Brian. He threw the eraser. No one likes him. He's going to get beat up. That's these guys. Here they jump out, pointing their finger, trying to tell, this is, you can't do that. That's unlawful. Well, here's the real truth about it. There is the Torah. There is the law. It is, it is what the Jews had to follow. Then there's this other deal, and those are those extra credit, those extra credit kids. Remember the extra credit kids? Oh, I got all my work done. Some of you are, I can tell by the look on your face. Like you're like, I like those kids. They're wonderful. I freaking know who you are. That's what these guys are. These are the extra credit guys. Here's what they do to the law. Here's the law. And they say, but just to be sure, let's step it up a notch. Here's one. Here's one. The law said you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. So one of the things that was kind of work was getting yourself kind of prepared and pretty and combing your hair. And so the idea was, here's the thing. Don't do that. The law says, don't do that. This is Sabbath. Just let it be. Just let it be. Just go out there. You know what I mean, girls? Sweatpants. No makeup. Do your thing. Dudes wake up with that thing in the back like this. If you got any of that back there, then you go out and just, just, just rock it. It's fine. You know, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to see anybody. But the Pharisees took it to the next level. Their deal was this. Here's the rabbinical law. Don't look on, don't look in the mirror on the Sabbath. Why? Because if you look in the mirror, you might go like this. And sin. Oh, okay. And that's these guys. The rule was this. No harvesting on Sabbath. <laughs> Are they harvesting? No, here's what they're doing. They're walking through. They're grabbing the edges. You remember when you were young and you pulled the, pulled the heads of, of, uh, of grass or grain or whatever it is off the deal. Kind of shuck it a little bit. Blow the chaff or the husk off of it and eat it. That's what they're doing. Is that harvesting? Does that sound like harvest to you? You farmers, does that sound like harvest? No, it's not a harvest. The rule was this. Do not take a sickle into the field. Ain't nobody got a sickle. But these guys made a rule, another rule. Don't even do that because you could accidentally slip up, grab a sickle and start harvesting and not even know it. So be careful. So they jump up and they begin to point and say, hey, you got to be careful. You can't do that. You got to be more, you got to be more careful. And Jesus begins to pull this story up. And at, at, at first hearing, there's, there's no connection whatsoever. You can't do that on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says, didn't you ever hear what David did? No. What? He ate some bread from the temple one time and he wasn't supposed to. Okay. Tea in China, right? What do you, what do you mean? But there's something else going on in there that should point us back to something. And, and Jesus is smart. Jesus is a genius. And so when Jesus attacks somebody and he comes at them, he's coming at them always on two levels. The immediate argument and the bigger picture that they already missed. That's the way he comes at them. I'm going to get you here 
And then I'm going to get you on the, on the big side too. You're going to get it. I'm going to show you. Here's what he says. The Pharisees, these are the ones, the separated ones. They separate themselves from everybody else. They had a more strict interpretation. So when he replies, haven't you read what David did? David went into the temple at one point. It was a thousand years before Christ, give or take. And he goes into the temple because he was on the run from King Saul. Now, if you know your Old Testament, here's what you know. The reason David was on the run from King Saul was because God's blessing had left King Saul. And God had sent Samuel to anoint David the king. So David is the upcoming king. Saul no longer has God's blessing. Although he has the throne, although he has the crown, although he has the palace, he's not really the king. It's the little shepherd boy over there with the sheep and the stick and the little slingy deal. You know what I mean? That's who the real king is. But he doesn't look like that. Does that ring a little bit of a spiritual bell inside your head on where Jesus is inside the world right now? He doesn't have a throne. He doesn't have a palace. He doesn't have a crown. Why? Because he took it off to come here. He already has his. And he's pushing against the establishment because the establishment is saying, you're not Messiah. And he's like, you can say that all day long. But it doesn't change what I am. And so there's this front and center, just big picture. I am coming. I am going to be on the throne. That's the big one. The little picture is this. There is a letter of the law and there is a spirit of the law. You with me? Let me give you an example. Minimum speed limit on the highway is what? What is it? 40, 45? Okay. Um, if, if somebody goes under 40, can you ram them? Uh, I'm not going to go under 40. I'm not. If they do 39, can I ram them? Letter of the law. What's the reason there's a minimum? So there's not a problem. So there's not a wreck. So people aren't getting rammed. So they go under it and then I decide to ram them. I kept the letter of the law, but I broke what? The spirit of the law. Anytime somebody becomes so focused on the rules that it begins to chop people out of their congregation, we're going to have a church fellowship dinner tomorrow after, uh, or today after church. It's $30 a plate. There's something in there, isn't there? We only want some of you to come. Sweet moves, moron. You know? We're not really having a meal and it's not $30 a plate. But you see what I mean? Like, there's a letter of the law and you can keep that. And you can still go to hell. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, you can still be an absolutely terrible person. I know people who have made great accomplishments in their life. They have overcome huge obstacles in their life. And they're still miserable people. I also know people who you would never, ever guess in your entire life that they have money because they don't flaunt it. You would never, ever guess that they are as good and as sweet because everything they do is never let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. They're very just quiet, 
just very meek about what they do in their life. And Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, there's a point with the law that sometimes human need exceeds what the law says. And David was one of those times when he went into the temple and he's got all these people around him. And he eats the consecrated bread that was only lawful for the priest to eat. And Jesus says, this is also one of those times. Here's another, here's another beautiful thing about it. If you know your Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 22. Let me read you something else. And you can tell me if you've heard this before. This sounds familiar to you. The story that Jesus just quoted happened in 1 Samuel 21. This is 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were, here it comes, in distress, in debt, or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. Does that remind you of anybody else? Absolutely it does. This is talking about David. But who else is now on the fringe? Who can't go back into the city and do all the miracles they were doing before? Who's out in lonely places and the people are coming to him? Jesus. Jesus argues from the standpoint of there's a letter, there's the letter of the law, then there's the spirit of the law. But I think maybe there's a bigger picture here and that's this. I am like who David was, only the bigger, better version and not just king of Israel, but of the whole world and the universe and anything else you can imagine. And Jesus shows up and he combats this whole thing with this. Now, Mark is interesting because as far as chapters and verses and, and, and the ratio goes, Mark uses the Sabbath more often than the other gospel writers do, which is interesting because Mark also uses the immediately, 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 and then, and then, and then, the sped up walking fast mall walker Jesus in his version. But he also talks about the Sabbath. Very next part, very next part. Mark chapter 3. Another time, he went into the synagogue, and, the man, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath because you know how much work healing is. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. It wasn't very nice of Jesus. It doesn't sound like, does it? But then he asked him, which is lawful? He asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? Check out their response. They remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I've got a few things I want to just point out. Seven observations if you're pencil pushing accountant and you want to write something down. Seven observations. First one is this. 
Jesus' commitment to going to the synagogue, even with those who hated him. Um, what is your church attendance like, and why? Well, I don't really like to go to church because I don't like people to judge me. They were trying to kill Jesus. What's your excuse? Anybody plot other than your spouse? Your spouse plot your death here at any? Probably not. If so, we'll handle it. You know, we'll handle it. We got guys for that. You know, we're we're. But that didn't happen here. I promise it didn't happen. So there's not a good excuse. Jesus still went to church where people hated him. Stop being a crybaby. With me? And if you meet other people out in the congregation, out in the out in the uh, community, and that's the reason for not wanting to go to church, they want people to judge him. Call him a crybaby. Stop being a crybaby. Go to church. That's what you need to tell him. Okay? Just that easy. Don't be a crybaby. Go to church. Second thing is this. Pharisees watched Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Even Jesus' haters came in anticipation that Jesus was going to do something mighty. What about you? Jesus' haters come to church and they're just like, he's going to do something. He's going to do something cool. What about us? Do we show up the same way? Or do we drag in like, well, check the box that I showed up. You know what I mean? That's how I feel some, some, right? But it's true. Even Jesus' haters show up anticipating Jesus to do something great. What about us? Do we? Do we show up in church and think to ourselves, you know what? I'm expecting God to move in my life today. I'm expecting to hear something today. I'm ready for God to move me to that next place today. What is it that I need to hear about myself today? Not what do I need to hear about my wife or my husband today. What do I need to hear about me today? Do you show up in anticipation of what God is going to do in church with you? Third observation. Does the background of this story even matter to Jesus? Does it even matter to Jesus what's going on with this man with the shriveled up hand? Does it even matter to him? See, in my mind, it works like this. I would love to help the guy that's on the corner, but I'm pretty sure it's a scam. I'd like to give him some money, but I freaking know what he's going to do. And my heart's yelling, you don't know anything. My mind's going, dude, we've seen this before. You know what I mean? And the two are just at war. Jesus never even asks. Yeah, but Jared, shouldn't I be a good steward? Yeah, 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 you should. You should be a good steward. So here's what you should do. You should set aside some of that money that you're going to tithe, just a little bit of it. Set it aside and just wait for the next opportunity. Stuff it in your ashtray and just wait. And when it's there and he's there, then you know God has aligned the planets and you can give him some money and it doesn't really matter what he does with it. Yeah, well, I don't want to be an enabler. Hey, guess what? You can't control everything. What you can't control is your generosity. That's for sure. Right? Sometimes we give up, we take, the, we take the reins away from our mind and we hand them over to the heart for a second and we say, do something good here. And then we take them and we hand them back to the mind. And then we take them from the mind and we hand them back to the heart. And that's how we have to live. You can't live in just one capacity. There's no Jared Ellis version of just let's live by the heart. You know why? Because then I'd have an orphanage. That's why. <laughs> and it'd be adults probably. You know? Dude sitting around on my couch watching my TV, and I'd be like, but they're, I think they're good people. My wife would be like, I'm done feeding them. I'm done, you know? 
Because that's what we're, it can't be all heart. Here's the other side. It can't be all mind either. It can't be all logic. If it's all logic, you know what it turns into? Mind. Mind, mind, mind. Mind, mind, mind. Out, get your own. Go to work. You know what to do. One and one is two. Go get a job. Fill out a, a, a job application. Get a resume. I don't, get a computer. I don't know. Mow grass. All of a sudden, it becomes this very just hard line. No grace. No compassion. Metal on metal. There's got to be a mix of the two. Jesus never says to the man, can you explain to me why your hand is, is beat up? Here's what we do know. The Greek word that talks about this man's hand suggests that at one point it became this way, that he wasn't born this way. What happened? Was he sinning? And so God smited him? What happened? Why is his hand messed up? Was he doing something stupid? Was he punching the sheetrock in, in a temper tantrum and messed his hand? What's, that? What's going on? Jesus doesn't ask. He meets the man there. Here's why. Because we're not the gatekeepers of grace and compassion. It's not in our account and we get to decide who gets it. It's the Lord's, right? We offer grace and compassion regardless. Now listen, at the same time, I understand there's a point to where we go. Uh, I'm not helping this situation. We keep returning to this situation and I'm not helping this situation. I need to remove myself and I need to pray for this person and I need to pray for balance in me. And if, if the Lord prompts me, then I can come back to it. Not, no, I can't. But we're not the gatekeepers of compassion. Uh, number four, how do you answer when Jesus prays? What's your answer when Jesus prays? We love to complain about the Lord not answering our prayers, right? Lord, I've been crying out to you, right? Why don't you answer me, Lord? What's the problem? But then when the Lord prays, which is right, to do good or to do evil, to give life or to save it on the Sabbath, which is right, and they remained silent. What is going on in the life of Jared Ellis? To where when the Lord speaks, Jared Ellis goes like this. What is the Lord saying to me that I'm like, mm, next, pass, go different one. Not that one, different one. No, I want to talk to you about the, about the way you use your mouth. You got a foul mouth. You change that. Give me a different one. Let's start somewhere else, Lord, with like grace. I'm super good at grace. You're not that good. And no, I'm working on this one. What about that? How do we answer when the Lord prays? When the Lord asks of us, how do we respond? Are we silent? Where are you at in your life? What's the next thing the Lord wants from you? Are you is it time to move? Is it time to spiritually move? Is it time to spiritually take a step? Is it time to let go of control? Is it time to take your freaking uh, co uh, compassion and your capacity to love and just inflate it? It's got to be bigger because it's not working where you live. You need something more. Is that what it is? You got to take that to the Lord. What's the thing he's asking? Remain silent. That's not the answer. The fifth one. Does your anger ever reach full maturity? You're like, yes, it does. You, I can break some mini blinds and some sunglasses 
some alarm clocks. When Katie and I first got married, in the first year we got married, I broke more sets of mini blinds and alarm clocks, jerking stuff out of the wall, slinging it into the window. I mean, just maniacal because we were just so polar opposite and could not figure out the language. She speaks something and I speak something else. Couldn't figure it out. Breaking mini blinds, which is really weird, really, now that I think about it. Like, yeah! <laughs> it's just so weird. I wonder why I did that. Hmm. But anyway, does it reach full maturity? I don't mean full maturity like an explosion. What I mean is this. Jesus' maturity in anger. He grows angry. Look at this word that he uses. Uh, he looked around at them in anger. He looked around at them. I, this is another one of those Mark words. He looked, what's this one say? Yeah, he looked around at them. This word, he looked around, is used seven times in the Bible. Mark uses it six. Jesus, Mark's Jesus, does this a lot. Like, that's Mark's Jesus. Like, he's always like, always in the, and the, and the word, the word that it uses is this word to look intently. It's a personal. It's a so that you understand that it's you and 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 it's you, right? It's this one. It's you. It's that. Mark's Jesus does this all the time. And so Mark's Jesus looks around. And then the next word, in anger. Mark uses it one time. Jesus is about to blow a gasket. Mad. Looking around. Can you see it? Which is better, to do good or to do evil? And everybody remains silent. And Jesus is boiling. Watch what happens. He looked around at them in anger. And then the word, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Deeply distressed. This is a two-part word. This is, this is a couple of words that come together. It takes the word, and it goes from sympathy to grief. Anger turns into this... When you look at her or him and you can't get on the same page as them and you're fuming because they're just not listening, anger that goes to full maturity does this. <sighs> Dad Gummit, I wish we could connect here. We're not. Okay. Oh. Dad Gummit, I'm so sorry. I, maybe I'm not seeing it right. Could you explain it again? Because maybe I'm just not understanding. That's the full maturity of anger. Anger is necessary because that's how we get to the other side of grief and sympathy. And so it, it, it grows and it, it turns from this thing that wants to just lash out. We always stop it short, don't we? Bing, 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 bing. Jesus takes this to the full level. The full level of anger in maturity turns into a sympathy. And he looks at these people with compassion. And he looks and he says, I so wish they would get it. If they got it, it would be so good. 
If they could understand what was really happening right here, they would love it. They can't, though. They're not there. And I can't change that. And he doesn't return to anger. He stays in the place of sympathy. I wish they could get it. This is what fathers and mothers do when they look at their children when they become prodigals and they wander off the path. You want to be angry, right? You want to lose your mind. But you can't stay there. And you know you can't stay there. It has to grow. And it turns into something else. It turns into a grief. It turns into a sympathy. Jesus' anger reaches full maturity. Does yours. This was a challenge to me when I read it. I was like, oh, heck no. Next, pass. Give me a new one. Let's work on my foul mouth. Let's do that instead. Okay. That was number five. Number six. When Jesus does something so ironic, even Alanis Morissette is just like, we're going to need to write another verse. This is, uh, this is, this is strange. This is strange right here. Uh, the conversation is Sabbath, right? And this guy's got a messed up hand. And because he's got a messed up hand, he can't work. And then Jesus, on Sabbath, gives this guy back the use of his hand so that he can go to work. <laughs> so brilliant. Yes, I really do think. Yes, I really do think. I mean, that's incredible. Like, that is one of those situations that only Jesus is going to pull off. And about 2,000 years later, everybody's just like, oh, that was good. That was, and he sent the guy to work. And he walks out and he goes to work. Just to prove yet even further, you can keep the letter of the law. But you know what? I want you to get the spirit of the law. You know what, fella? Hey, go ahead and go, go, go apply. You got two good hands. You're able-bodied. Go put in your application, son. Go do your thing. You're well. You're healthy. You're good. Same goes for us. Did you come broken? Did you come busted? Are you in just that place right now? Just like, I'm just smashed. I can't move forward. You know what? It's all right. Look, you came to the right place. You've got to get in front of Jesus. You've got to get in front of Jesus. Uh, was that number six? Number seven. Jesus brings out the worst in some people, and he exposes hypocritical hearts. Jesus brings out the worst in some people, and it's true. Jesus shows up on the scene, and what happens? Do you know that there was two groups of people inside of, uh, inside of uh, uh, Judea in that area that were just at absolute odds? You know who they were? The Pharisees and the Herodians. I'll read you this verse one more time. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus will make two people who are just, just absolute enemies become friends because, like, we hate him more. That's what Jesus does. He'll do it in your life, too, I promise. That's why Jesus said, look, I didn't come. I, didn't, I know you think I'm peace. I'm not peace. I didn't come for that. I came to bring the sword. I'm going to hack it right between mom and daughter, between dad and son. Because that, my, this, is, this is bigger. This is better. I'm taking you to a new place. This isn't going to work anymore. Those old habits, those old lifestyles, those old forms, those old patterns that you used to fit in, those don't work. They're not going to work in the next kingdom. You can't honor your father and honor your mother and honor me at the same time. That's not going to work. Now, little kids, that's different for you. All right, you with me? But when we grow up, it changes, doesn't it? We don't fit into those roles no more. Doesn't work. So what's the thing that he's asking of us? What's the thing that God's moving um, in our life, what's it, what, where, what are we supposed to do? What's our next step in Christ? 
Is it a daily devotional? Is it a daily Bible reading? Is it praying for somebody? You can pray for me if you don't have anybody. You can pray for me. I need it. My wife appreciates it. This is, where's the Lord taking us? Where's the Lord taking you? What's your next step? Maybe it's one of those deals like, I don't know a whole lot about the Lord. I'm just going to like read the story or maybe watch the movie. Okay, watch the movie. Read the story. I don't know what's the next step for me. I don't know. Email me. Message me. Uh, call me. I'll, I mean, I'll do my best to help, help you walk through there. I know what my next step is. What's your next step? Where's the Lord taking you with all this? He brings out the worst in some people. and others, he brings out the best. That's us. Brings out the best. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. Mark's gospel will continue to unfold and show us different aspects of Jesus' emotions. And it's really cool. It's really cool. He touches us in, in, in different ways. He opens up our heart in different ways, our eyes in different ways. And, and I'm looking forward to looking forward to jumping in and doing this thing. If you need anything, call me. Get a hold of me. Contact Luke. Swing by during the week. Uh, somebody will be around. We can chat. So let's pray. We'll get out of here.